Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a young man who was son and the grandson of ministers in the Dutch Reformed Church. And he had this dream by the time he was in his mid-twenties that he would be a, a minister. He took a year of theological studies. He was living in the Netherlands region of Holland. He was sent to the Borgene region as a missionary in Belgium to a small little town, village really, filled with desperately impoverished miners, farmers, people who could barely scratch out a living, who were beaten down, who had aged well before their time. Their eyes looked sallow and hollow, and he was moved with such a passion to serve as Christ's ambassador in that place that he soon began giving away all the possessions that the church had given to him to be a missionary in that impoverished region. He, he was even giving the clothes out of his closet, the clothes off his back. He was trying so hard to serve, and finally somebody came from the mission society to check on his progress, and when they saw the way that he was living, so deeply identified with the people that he was serving, they said, you are an embarrassment to the church. And they took away his commission. And they said he needed to seek life, that he was mentally unprepared to serve the gospel. He was crushed. He didn't know what to do. But his kid brother, named Teo, said, I will stake you to a career for his brother was an art dealer. And so Vincent van Gogh left Holland, heading for Paris, where over the next handful of years he poured out his life serving God in a way that no one in this room would ever dispute God had meant for him to serve all along. He's an odd figure in history, but if you read his letters and study his relationship with his brother, Theo, you know that he had faith in Christ to the utmost, that all that he did was out of desire to serve God. No one can look on any of his paintings and not come away comforted, filled with a sense of quiet grace an unexpected way of looking at the world. What he saw in the mission field in the Bourgain, he brought to the canvas for all of us to enjoy. To the point where one might even say what a crime it would have been if he had only been a preacher. Our lives in Jesus when we take those trembling steps to the altar and we kneel there, or when we walk up on the mountain and light the candle and stare into a starry night, and we say for the first time, 
Lord Jesus, I need you. And we feel that flooding warmth of God saying, I need you too. You're mine. You belong to me. Our lives in Jesus are meant to be lived out of that moment as though it were a birth, not an ending. As though it were the beginning, not the terminus. We have not arrived when we say the sinner's prayer in the floor of some stadium. We are just starting out. And like wobbly-legged one-year-olds learning (laughs) to walk, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Oh, the mistakes the church makes will drive us crazy. If you're a pastor, they'll drive you crazier than anyone else. We keep seeing people come to the church and they're, they're struggling here or they're struggling there. And most of all, they're struggling in relationships. We don't know how to be nice to each other in the church. That's why there are schisms and that's why the church divides itself and that's why we used to have a, you know, being Methodist, a little thing that we would say, oh, you know, please God, don't let there be another schism in the Baptist church. Because every time a 700-member Baptist church divides itself, you have two 700-member Baptist churches. And they just keep growing and multiplying. Maybe that's their mission strategy. I don't know. And if I have any Baptists sitting in this room, please forgive me. That's a clergy ethnic joke, I guess. But what I mean to say is that our life with God is a life in relationship. That what Jesus meant was for us to extend the invitation to all of humanity. Come and join the kingdom. Come be a part of my life. Come be a part of the new kingdom. The Israelites in Jesus' time had come to see themselves as specially favored by God, not so that they could be put on display. And I'm not talking about the Jewish faith, but I'm talking about those religious leaders who were in Jerusalem that encountered Jesus and tried to tell him to shut it down. Don't do this. This isn't right. They were those kinds of religious leaders that we see all the time today who set the boundaries around their church as hard as stone around a fort. You have to bang and bang and bang and bang just to get into the church. Unless you are one of the original members. I have no worry of that here because there's no one here who was an original member of FUMCO. And if there is someone here who was an original member of FUMCO, the people at Ripley's, believe it or not, would like to talk to you. But how desperately difficult it is for those congregations where you practically need a battering ram to get into the church and when you get to the center of it, you find nothing but a soft, gushy core. When what the church is supposed to be is a place where at the outer boundaries it is as porous as a sponge. People can walk in and out all of the time. They can come with whatever's on their mind and whatever is on their heart. Go, Jesus said, go into the main streets and find anybody you can, for I've set my banquets. Bring them all in. Bring them all in. Bring them all in. There should be no border that is discernible at the edge of the church. But the closer we come to the center, the more firm and sturdy and solid it should become. 
until we find nothing at the center of the church but the trustees. No, no, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Nothing at the center of the church but Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen. Nothing else. Jesus told a hard parable. So hard that some said he must have gotten out of bed on the wrong side this morning. It's a parable in which the people who were expected to come, the invited guests, the ones he he had initially sent the invitations to, all began mailing in their regrets one after another after another. Can't come. I can't come. I won't come. Stop bothering me. Quit sending your servants. We're not coming. And then the king of this royal banquet, and mind you, weddings in those days were not one-day events. They were social events. They went on and on. He said, just get out there and fill this hall. I've already paid for it. The cost of the wedding cake is sunk cost. Just bring in whoever will, will come. Can you imagine that today? I can on one of our trips to Ghana, our, our guide was telling us that they've had to crack down in the church because brides will sit at the back of the church and if the church isn't sufficiently full at the time of the wedding, they refuse to walk down the aisle until all the guests have arrived. And he said the weddings were just getting later and later and later. Sometimes two and three hours, the or first guest would sit there until the hall was sufficiently full and then the bride could come in and have her day. So there's a cultural thing happening. And this king will not, will not celebrate in an empty hall. And if the regular expected guests won't come, then we'll fill the hall with others. And if Jesus had stopped right there, it would have made sense to me. Okay, the church of Jesus Christ is the now, now the new thing, the celebration thing, and let's, let's just keep on going. But Matthew, God love him, warns the church, as he always will, that just because we've been invited from the streets to come in and be in the presence of God, it doesn't mean that we ourselves shouldn't be dressed up in such a way as to receive the king. Now, some scholars say it may have been the practice of many hosts at a wedding to provide a a rack. Just like at the fashionable restaurants, they'll provide a coat and a tie, so if you didn't come prepared, you could put something on and come and have a meal. But this king in the parable comes walking through the room, and he sees somebody there who is just filling himself with all the goodies, eating all the peanuts out of the little cup, asking someone else at the table, are you going to eat yours? Oh, I'd like those too. First one to the bowl of punch, the first one in line at the cake cutting. And the king sees him, and he's just dressed like a street person. How did you get in here? Well, you asked me. How is it that you're not dressed up? Hmm. He calls the attendants and says, this one doesn't belong. Help them go outside and sit in the timeout chair and think about it for a while. Did Matthew mean for the church to hear that? That just being invited to the banquet isn't enough? 
In one of my study Bibles from seminary, I wrote down next to this parable, this is a very Wesleyan parable. This is a very Methodist parable. This is right out of the heart of John Wesley. John Wesley was once preaching in a, in a uh, baroness from Holland was in the audience and as John Wesley was teaching on grace and the, and the need to meet the grace of God with our good works, she came up to him afterwards and said, well, you're, you're not preaching salvation by faith, you're preaching salvation by works. And he said to her, Madam, I am not preaching that good works are necessary to obtain salvation. Salvation is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. But I am preaching that good works are necessary to keep it. That rings true for all of us. To go back and read in the historical documents that the earliest Methodist societies had only one requirement, one requirement to join the Methodist society, uh, that you professed a true and sincere desire <clears throat> to flee the wrath that was to come. And that's something that only God can judge in a human heart. We can't be judge of that, except that John Wesley went on to say, but wherever such desire is truly fixed in the heart, it will be immediately and eminently visible in the works and the words of the people in whom God has placed that desire. Say it another way. If we are truly attached to Jesus Christ with our heart and soul and not in name only, then our lives are going to begin to look like Jesus Christ. You might even see a minister giving away all their things once in a while because they are so deeply connected to the people they were supposed to serve. You might see a wild-eyed artist just pouring themselves out, seeing the world the way God meant it to be seen, using color in a time when color was not even used. It just so so eager to get the next painting done that it didn't bother with brushes, just put up a palette knife and just started slapping paint on the canvas. Do you know Vincent Van Gogh painted a thousand paintings in one year? Hmm. To be so passionately involved with God that we come to resemble his son in every way. There is more to the life of grace than simply kneeling and saying a prayer somewhere. Then there's the business of growing up into Christ, of becoming sanctified in the Lord. And I don't know how it is with you, but when I try to push that journey up from the bottom, it just sags down all around me, and I don't make it very far. But such is the grace of God that if we allow God to raise us up in him, if we allow God to set our agenda, if we set aside our selfish ambitions and our selfish desires and we follow the way that God would have us go, our lives become his project. And our lives are changed forever. In a moment of hubris, I titled this morning's meditation, What It Means to Be Accepted into Grace. But of course, 
This preacher could never tell you what it means to be accepted into grace. Not fully. That's your journey. It's your life. And it's open to everyone. Work with me this year to make the boundaries of our church here as open to the world, to people of every stripe, every kind, every mindset. Let there be no preconditions on us as we come into this place. But let us never, never mistake that invitation for simple permissiveness. Once we are here, let us all strive to become like Christ by yielding to him in his perfect grace. Let the center of our church be the solid rock in the midst of a stormy world. Amen.